0: Hello, we're Orsa and Chris from A Flatpak History of Sweden, the podcast that takes you chronologically through the history of this Scandinavian kingdom. You're hearing this because A, you obviously have great taste in podcasts since you're listening to the history of Sakatvelo, Georgia, and B, you presumably like history podcasts that chronologically go through the journey of countries that might be slightly lesser known. Sweden is so much more than billy bookshelves you get from Ikea or meatballs in the restaurant. So far we've covered how the first people settled on this long and narrow strip of land in northern Europe began farming and trading and eventually formed a kingdom known as Sweden. We meet Vikings, family-feuding kings and queens, troublesome Scandinavian neighbours, religious figures with a love for letter-writing, and ordinary people who are just trying to get on with their lives. We release an episode every other Sunday, including a fun Swedish phrase that we translate... You can find us where you find your podcasts. Just search "A Flatpack History of Sweden and get on board the longboat through the rough waters of this kingdom's history. Or check us out on social media. We're at Flatpack Sweden on Twitter and a Flatpack History of Sweden on Facebook, Tack så mycket!
1: and welcome to the history of sagarvelo georgia i'm your host roberto and this is episode 23 the holstroid shuffle in today's episode we're going to cover around 50 years of history because you guessed it after mirian the the sources dry up on us once again in the meantime we're going to see the struggles of the holstroid dynasty after the 77 year long reign of mirian and how his successors deal with the fallout of events to come. In our last episode, we had a recap on the conversion of Kartli, and a bit of a run through on religion in the region. There's not much information to begin with, since the conversion went off without a hitch, more or less, but we needed to get out of the Georgian Chronicles and learn more about other things. So, thank you to Professors David Brown and Donald Rayfield for the insightful information in your books. Now back to the narrative. Church bells ring to a symphony of weeping. The streets are filled with mourning subjects. The palace gates open, and the funeral procession going up the mountain to the Samtavro Monastery begins. King Mirian III of Kartli had passed a few days ago, and everything had been planned by his wife, Nana and the new king, his grandson, Saramag II. Mirian's body was laid to rest within the monastery, and if Saramag looked like he had massive shoes to fill, it's because he did. He silently returned to the palace and commenced his work presiding over Kartli. His uncle, Varaz Bakur, had run off to the Persians after the throne passed to his nephew instead of him. Sensing an incoming headache, Saramag could only hope that good news would arrive soon. A messenger from Rome arrived, bearing grave news. The Roman Emperor, Julian, had made his way to Stesiphon in Persia and perished at the hands of a random spearman. Saramag indicated for the messenger to leave, and the whole room felt the poor man's heart sink. The last bit of protection that he had against the Persians was gone. Varaz Bakur would soon return with a Persian army at his back, and things would not go well for Saramag. With no other options, Saramag reached out to the king of Armenia, Arshak, and formed an alliance against the upcoming Persian onslaught. The Armenians had also received the news, and even worse news as well. The new Roman emperor, Jovian, gave control of Armenia over to the Persians in their peace treaty. The Armenians rebelled in response and beat back the arriving Persians. Sarmak attempted to aid the Armenians, but the other Kartveli elite sat back to see what would happen. They didn't want to commit themselves to a losing battle against one of the most powerful empires in history. Eventually, the Persians captured and executed King Arshak for his folly. Sarmak heard the drums of war rattle over the land as the Persian army appeared with his uncle, Viraz Bakur, at the head. Sarmak fled to Armenia as they stormed Kartli and crowned Varaz Bakur as a new king of Kartli. Saramak's reign ended after a mere two years. The year was 363. Varaz Bakur set to work consolidating his new kingdom. Being his father's son, he wanted to continue the conversion efforts of Kartli especially in the areas he had missed deep in the mountains. Meanwhile, Sarmag bided his time in exile in a plot to regain his lost support in the nation. Verazbakur officially entered into a protective alliance with the Persians. Aiding him was his cousin, Peroz, who finally agreed to be baptized to Christianity, but only if Verazbakur would grant him a bit of land. Varaz then used this opportunity to write a letter to Saramarg and Tirdat stating that while Varaz bloodline remained alive, his branch of the family would be the legitimate ruler of Kartli, not that of Rev. To appease both his nephews, Varaz gave them the region of Kukheti and made the other the Eremstavari, or Grand Duke of Rustavi. We don't know which one he gave to whom. In the remaining years of his life, Virazbakur leaped headfirst into magnifying the power of the church and conversion efforts in the remote regions of the nation until his death. During his reign, he increased the number of priests and deacons in the area and built a church in Silkani. Despite the aggression he had shown his nephew, Varazbakur was buried beside his brother, Reb II, in 365 AD. The throne passed on to Virazbakur's son, Mirdat Third. Mirdat, like his father, was much more focused on the spirituality of his nation and built a church in the fortress of Tukharisi. To demonstrate his piety, he also decorated and constructed additional parts to the churches of Erusheti and Tsunda. With the permission of Mirdat and Bishop Jacob, caretaker of Nino's church, the Kartveli carved crosses from the life-giving wood of the sacred pillar that spread throughout the land. Mirdat used the remains of the pillar to create a large cross, erected a stone wall, and placed a life-giving cross on top of it. Untroubled by anything domestically, he grew deeper in his faith. Internationally, on the other hand, things were not going well for Mirdat. Emperor Valens gained control of the Eastern Roman Empire and was furious at the Persians for their breach of the 363 Treaty. In 370, he sent 12,000 men to Kartli under the command of Terentius. This forced Mirdat to compromise with the new emperor by splitting Kartli into two. Mirdat received a northeastern segment of Kartli, control of the Dario Pass, and would remain a Persian vassal, while Saramag would return and take control of everything on the right bank of the Kura River and go up to the borderlands of Lazica and Armenia. This was a normal compromise for the Romans, as they had done this in the past. The Sassanid Empire, under the control of Shapur II, was rather offended that he was not involved in this discussion with his vassal. He prepared to fight the Romans for the offense. He sent envoys to the Romans in 377 AD, demanding that Valens either give up Armenia or abandon the divided Kartli, since Roman troops had remained to support Saramag. With the Goths building up their forces near Adrianople occurring, Valens withdrew the troops and asked Shapur for safe passage back to Roman territory. Shapur told Valens, of course, and then ordered his troops to inflict as much damage as possible to the Roman army. Valens' preoccupation with the Goths left him without a response to the slight against him. Then, the unthinkable happened. Emperor Valens was killed at Adrianople in 378 thanks to the impatience of a certain man named Bakur the Iberian. Once again, Saramag lost the protection of the Romans. In 378, Mirdat III came through with the combined Kartveli Persian force and ousted his cousin Saramag from the throne and brought all of Kartli under his personal domain as vassals of the Sassanid Empire. Mirdat died in 380, and the throne passed to Viraz Bakur II. The Bakur was unlike his father, as the Chronicles state that he was a Zoroastrian, an enemy of Christianity. He feared showcasing this hatred since all his nobles were thoroughly converted to Christianity. To rebel against the church, he refused to build any new churches, or add anything to the existing ones, and behaved like an unbeliever in everything. The viewpoint of the Chronicles is interesting as Professor Donald Rayfield tells us in Edge of Empires, that Veraz Bakur II actually consolidated Miriam III's conversion efforts, and that he asked the Eastern Roman emperors and patriarchs to send him bishops and priests, sacred texts and linguists to ensure that the services could be held in Georgian, and to create a unique Georgian alphabet for everyone. He even built more churches. Given this major discrepancy, feel free to form your own opinion. Under his rule, Literacy became a major factor for political unification within the realm. But, by this time, the strict Shapur II had perished, so it's possible that the Chroniclers were simply attacking the Zoroastrian king for his apostasy. Another reason why the Chroniclers may have been upset with Varaz Bakur was the actions he took upon ascending the throne. He took two wives, Rev's granddaughter and Mirian's great-great-granddaughter, Rev's granddaughter gave birth to two sons, named Mirdat and Tirdat, while Mirian's descendant gave birth to a son named Parzman. The incest is strong with Varaz Another member of his family would later become known as Peter the Iberian. He would be Varaz great-grandson through his daughter, Osdukt. Trouble brewed when the Sasaran emperor sent a commander to Armenia, and Kartli, to enforce his dominion over the Caucasus region. To defend against this invading force, the Armenians sent an envoy to Verazbakur to propose an alliance with the Kartveli. The envoy told the king of Kartli that if he aided the Armenians, they would have the support of the Roman forces, and that he should open the Darial Pass to let the Assetians and Lechis wreak havoc against the Persian forces. Verazbakur's Aristavis looked upon the king and begged him to take the deal. The envoy's message was simply waved off by Varaz Bakur, and the nobility's desires were dismissed. It's at this point that the chroniclers describe Varaz Bakur as timorous and a coward. Instead of arming his men against the Persians, he went into the ravines of Kakheti, built a fortress in Khidari, reinforced the towns, and ordered everyone to hide their crosses. The Persian army swept through the Caucasus and devastated Armenia. They made their way into Kartli, and built a fortress just outside of Miteshieta. Varaz Bakur trembled in his fortress, and implored the Persians to give him peace. The Persian commander demanded, "'Give me Ron and Movakin, for they are parts of the Persian domains, and belong to those who are the true descendants of the king of the Persians, and are sitting on the thrones of their fathers. For you, who are born of a concubine, Kartli is enough.' Let Kartli remain in your possession and pay tribute to the king's Khosrowitz. Verazbakur silently drafted up a treaty with the commander, granting him the lands he wanted, along with the tribute to the Persian emperor. In exchange for their lands, the Persian commander gifted the fort outside of Mitesieta to the Kartveli king. What a gift. Thanks to Verazbakur's inaction, the Caucasus had once again become official tributaries of the Persians. Things were not going well domestically for varaz after his actions in the last war. The Klargeti tribe had become annoyed with him and broke off from Kartli to join with the Romans. The Romans, smelling fresh blood, then took the entire territory of Klargeti up to Hereti and Negrisi to their territory, although this region was likely already under their control anyways. As the Sonid territory grew, so did the influence of Zoroastrianism. It became the second established religion in Kartli, not even 30 years after the death of Mirian III. Then, things took a turn for the worst. Verazbakur passed away suddenly and left small children incapable of ruling to run the country. The nobles of Kartli looked around for another member of the Hosroy dynasty and their eyes landed on Tirdat, Viraz Bakur II's father-in-law and Rev's son. They pronounced him as King of Kartli in 394. He had become quite old at this point and adopted his grandchildren by Varazbakur as his wards. His reign passed quietly and he was quite happy. He professed his love for God constantly and told the Kartveli to bring out the crosses they had hidden away. He also did what his predecessor refused to do and decorated the churches. During his reign, Bishop Job died and a man named Elias succeeded him. Knowing the defeat the Kartveli had suffered recently, Tirdat continued the tribute imposed by the Persians and managed to seize Rustavi for himself. He built a church in Nicaresi and eventually passed away in his sleep. In 406, the IV ascended the throne after his grandfather's death. His early life was spent as a magister militum in Constantinople, but was pushed out after being accused of sleeping with the empress Eudoxia. He descended from Peroz and was only given the throne as he was the firstborn amongst his other brothers, Mirdat and Tirdat. Parsman was a brave man, like his namesake, Parsman II, and a firm Christian. He was able to form an alliance with the Roman Emperor Arcadius, despite the scandal he was involved in, freeing him up to refuse tribute to the Persians. He did assert Kartveli independence against both the Persians and Romans by having a White Hun proxy army at his disposal. He died of unknown causes. Myrdat IV ascended the throne after the death of Parsman in 409 AD. He was descended from Rev through his mother's side. Like his brother, he was brave and quite fearless, but took after his father, Baraz Bakur II, in his non-Christian leanings, carefreeness, and arrogance. He didn't build any new churches, regarding military valor as the only important thing, especially after he was able to retake the territory of Clargeti from the Romans. Attacking the Romans wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the fact that flaking on the previously established Roman alliance means no protection from the Persian Empire. But he did the relatively smart thing and chose not to risk antagonizing them. Just kidding. He repeatedly antagonized the Persians. Mirdat IV's aggression caused the Persians to send a commander named Varash to Kartli with an army at his back. Mirdat took this as a challenge as he thought of himself as a mighty leader with superb battle skills. He obviously overlooked the part where the Persians had many more soldiers than he did. He took to battle with a much smaller army at Gardabani. Needless to say, no matter how hard the Kartveli fought, they were soundly defeated and, upon his capture, Mirdat faced consequences for his arrogance for once in his life. Thanks to Mirdat's ineptitude, the Persians ravaged Kartli and desecrated the churches. His relatives stayed in the fortress in Kakheti, while Mirdat died in Persian captivity. At this point, I'd like to say goodbye to our main chronicler, Leonti Mrovelli. We have finished the lives of the Georgian kings in our chronicles, and we move into the life of Vakhtang Gorgasali by Joancher Joancheriani. Next episode, we'll go up to Vaktang's father, so join us in two weeks' time for episode 24, The Sassanid Conversion. To see images and bibliography related to today's episode, please go to our website to check them out under the episode's page at historyofsacatvelo.com. It contains all the links to our social media and email contact information. Sacatvelo is spelled S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. To help this podcast continue, Please feel free to donate to the podcast via Coffee or PayPal. The link is in the episode description and on our website. Our Amazon wish list is also available if you'd like to purchase a book for us. We also have a Patreon, so feel free to support us there to get access to bonus episodes. The best way to help us is via review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast host, as it goes a long way with getting the word out about the show and helping us reach new people to learn about Georgia. Madlaba tannakvamdis. <laughs> And thank you for listening to The History of Sacred Villa, Georgia. See you next time.